0: and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to focus on our second reading for this weekend. It's taken from the 8th chapter of Paul's great letter to the Romans, and it gives me the opportunity to talk about one of the most important and spiritually powerful books in the entire Scripture. Can I urge everybody listening to me, at some point this week, take out your Bibles and find Paul's letter to the Romans. It's right after the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. And, um, and read through it. It's one of the first great um, texts of theology in the whole Christian tradition. In many ways, all of theology is kind of a footnote to Paul, and this is Paul's greatest letter. So my conviction is that no Christian should be unaware of what St. Paul wrote to the little church of Rome in the mid-first century Think about that for a second. Paul, you know, didn't found the Church of Rome. Uh, When it came to Rome, we're not sure, but pretty early, uh, Christians had established themselves in the imperial capital, and Paul was very interested in coming to visit, which eventually he did, because, of course, he comes to Rome and he dies in Rome in the Nero persecution in the year 64. But he's very interested, when he writes the letter, in establishing contact with this church in the capital of the world. We're pretty sure, the scholars are pretty sure, that he wrote the letter to the Romans in Corinth. So there's a church that Paul did found in that Greek city of Corinth. Go today and you'll see the ruins of it. It's very moving. As I surveyed, I remember some years ago I was there and surveyed the ruins of Corinth and trying to imagine now, where was Paul? Because you, know, you have the foundations of all these homes and, and shops and so on. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter to the Romans? It was delivered there, who knows when. It's written, let say, late 50s, so it gets to Rome, because people would put it on a ship, they'd send it with somebody, and they'd just kind of hope against hope that they would make it. And then it was delivered to um, a house church. So in those early, early days, people would gather in someone's home, <clears throat> and they'd have the um, Eucharist, and they would, they would read, uh, or they would hear. So in this case, uh, Paul sent his letter, and it was read aloud, to the little church uh, in Rome. So it's very moving uh, just to think of the setting for that and to think of Paul writing this most sustained of his letters, the most uh, theologically astute of his letters. You know, Paul's letters are, are all sharp, and they're smart, and they're funny. They're pastorally alert. You, know, you, can, you can hear Paul's voice, I find, right away. When you hear from one of the authentic Pauline letters, You say, yep, that's it. I I get his voice. I hear him. But as I say, Romans represents the the richest expression of the Apostle's uh, thought. It is, if you want, Paul in full, I think, the letter to the Romans. He dictated it, like all his letters, to his secretary. Uh, Often, it's funny, at the end of a Pauline letter, you'll find something like, hey everyone, this is in my own hand. And so, you know, the secretary was taking it down and writing it, but then at the very end, Paul himself would grab the pen and he would write uh, something in his own hand, a bit like, a, like an autograph, you know. In one of them, he says, this is, this is my hand, look how big I write, this is how I write. And so it's, it's moving across the centuries, we can sense Paul there. But like all letters, he dictates Romans to a secretary, which accounts for some of the rambling quality You know, you're not going to find just a a completely tightly presented theological argument because it's someone writing with pastoral concern to a church, dictating to a secretary, and that accounts for some of the rambling quality. Nevertheless, Romans is an argument. It's an articulate argument, and it behooves us to follow it. So just a couple of points before I get to the passage for today. The very opening of it is beautiful. It's an introduction of Paul himself to the Romans. He tells them who he is, namely, a doulos Christu Jesu. He's a slave of Christ Jesus. Beautiful. This is a society, of course, that knew slavery, knew what it meant. And Paul means that. He's the one that belongs to Christ Jesus. Why is he writing? Well, he wants to preach the euangelion, right? The good news, the gospel, this... News of a great victory that's been won. Beginning in in the end of chapter one, going to chapter two, Paul lays out the problem. And this is so important, you know, for Christianity. He lays out the problem, which is sin, a problem that we can't solve on our own. And therefore, we need a savior. Mind you, not just a teacher, not just a guru. We need a savior who can lift us out of a condition that we're in that we can't lift us out on our own, right? Jews and Greeks alike are lost in sin. The Jews know it through the law. The Greeks know it through natural reason. But we all know, all human beings know that they're lost. Then, beginning chapter 3 and moving through chapter 8, where our reading for today is found, Paul lays out the great solution. So this is not a depressing message. If you're depressed by Romans, you've not read it right. It's euangelion. It's good news. Now why? Because God has given us the great solution to the problem. Don't rely on your own powers. Don't rely on your own accomplishments. But rather, Jesus Christ has been given to us. And the more we put our faith and trust and confidence in him, we will be saved. God, in his mercy, has sent his only Son, who's paid the price for sin, has thereby allowed us to come into communion with God. We are, here's Paul's great language, justified through him. Dikaiosune is the word in Greek there, justification, meaning set right. Things are off kilter. Everyone knows that, Jew and Greek alike. But through Christ, we are set right. God's accomplished this great act, now, the more we surrender in faith to Christ, the more we enter into the dynamics of this salvation. That's Paul's point. Does it mean automatically that everything is fine? <laughs> you know, okay, so everything's been solved. Problem over. Well, not quite. There remains, and look at Romans 7, if you doubt me, Romans chapter 7, there remains, even in believers, even those who put their trust in Christ, there remains still a struggle against sin, a struggle against dysfunction. One of the finest passages in Romans is found in chapter 7 where Paul says, the good that I would do, it's that which I avoid. The evil that I would avoid, that's what I do. So think of anyone who's ever wrestled with an addiction or with a um, stubborn sin knows exactly what he's talking about, right? I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know this is the wrong thing, but yet that's what I do. And the very thing I know I should be doing, that's what I avoid. Now, mind you, that's St. Paul talking. That's not Paul prior to meeting Christ. This is St. Paul talking. So, I mean, the struggle isn't over, but then what does he say magnificently? He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Praise be to God for Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, the problem is there, and the answer has been given in Christ. Now, now, trust in him. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. Turn your life over to him more and more, and you will find dikaiosune. You'll find justification. It's the whole Christian life. You see, when I say everything is like a footnote to Paul, that's what I mean. There's the whole Christian life is this act of trust, faithful confidence in Christ, which then sets us right. Where does this come from, this confidence? There's one answer in Paul, seems to me, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Like all the first Christians, that's what he proclaims. That's the good news. Sin and death in the dying and rising of Jesus have in principle been conquered. Therefore, and I'm going to quote from, I think, the single most magnificent passage in Romans. Therefore, I'm certain that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, neither present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Paul in ecstasy, if you want. Paul who knows all about our dysfunction, knows all about the ongoing struggle, but knows the battle, the war has been won. And so finally, none of these things can separate us from Christ. The victory's been won, so what's Paul saying? Get into his army. God's rescue operation has been successfully undertaken, so enter into it. Another lovely passage from Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? Right, and so get into the, into the army. That's the full sense, it seems to me, of faith in Christ. See? Trust in him. Now, it's against that very rich background that we're meant to read our passage for today. When Paul says to the Romans, listen now, brothers and sisters, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but those words have always given me extraordinary comfort and peace. I'm going to read them again to you. If you want to look later, it's in the 8th chapter of Romans. Listen. Brothers and sisters, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. See, what's been disclosed in Christ Is God's great providential plan whereby he intends to reconcile all things to himself? Is the world a messed up place? Yes. No one knows it better than Paul. Read the very beginning of Romans. But see, God hates sin and God hates death. He's not satisfied with the world the way it is. He doesn't like the world produced by sin. And so what? He went all the way to the bottom of our dysfunction in order to set things right. He sent his only Son, who paid the price, who went all the way to the bottom of our dysfunction. And though, therefore, though things can seem permanently out of joint, though it can appear the world is just a lousy, dysfunctional place, those who love God those who've been grafted onto Christ see something new and something fresh. Namely, that all things work together for good for those who love God. Paul's not blind to it. Christians aren't blind to the darkness and dysfunction of things. We don't live in a world of fantasy and self-delusion. But, but, because of the victory of Christ, we know that all things work together for good. Suffering, sin itself, weakness, stupidity, failure, violence, yes, all of it has been brought together, summed up, organized according to God's good pleasure. And see, and this is what gives people like Paul and all the great saints this kind of insouciance and confidence. God has won the victory. God has won the victory. And therefore, in the grand scheme of things, all things work together for good for those who love God. In some ways, everybody, that's the central message of Paul's great letter to the Romans. In some ways, the central message of Christian faith itself. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.